will read for us a passage of scripture before we begin. <clears throat> we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 14 through 17, or rather 18, these words. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone, see that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. As many of you know, this afternoon we will not have uh, corporate worship, but we will be praying together corporately. This is the blessing, saints of God, that we have as believers in Jesus Christ is that we can come to one who is our Heavenly Father and He can hear us. Never take for granted that simple yet profound truth. But there's also a mystery in that, that God has allowed you to come to Him not as one who is stuck in their sin, whose prayers do not go heard, but rather one who is freed from sin, who has been united to Jesus Christ, who has been given the Spirit, and their prayers are heard. Thanks of God, your prayers are most assuredly heard. I mean, that is a world of theology in that. That God does not turn a deaf ear to us, but God actually really Here's your cries. And saints of God, today we want to consider the theology of prayer, but most especially corporate prayer. I think it's fitting for us, um, but also wise of us to consider the theology of prayer, but also corporate prayer, because we as a church have decided to not do a second service, but could devote ourselves as much time as needed to corporate prayer. Because we believe that God blesses not only a church that worships Him rightly, not only a church that gives to Him financially, but also a church that prays. God blesses churches that pray together and that are serious about praying together. Not something, saints of God, where now we can turn off our minds, we can turn off our thoughts, our passions, but just as seriously as you are listening to me now is as serious as you are to listen to the minister when he prays. Just as Pastor Antonio says, many times we are to lean forward, posturally speaking, when the minister is preaching. That is to say, we are to rise up our being 
when the preacher is being used as an instrument of Christ so that grace may enter into the souls of the congregation. In that way, we are to lean into the prayers that are being petitioned to God. Saints of God, then, let's first ask, what is prayer? This will be very quickly, just a quick theology of prayer. What is prayer? Well, first, let's consider what prayer is not. St. Thomas Aquinas is helpful here. He says, prayer is not established for the purpose of changing the eternal disposition of providence. Since this is impossible. But so that people may obtain from God the object that they desire. Again, prayer is not established for the purpose of changing the eternal disposition of of providence, but so that people may attain from God the object that they desire. It's common to think that prayer is the human being attempting to change God's will. That is false, and we are never to think that. Or maybe there are some Christians that regard prayer as a means of controlling or manipulating the divine power toward our human needs and ends. We know that very well, especially those who come from certain backgrounds where prayers are more associated with word magic. But saints, when we think of the purpose of prayer, the purpose of prayer cannot be to make God do something. That is, we are demanding something from God. The purpose of prayer cannot be to make God do something that he otherwise would not have done. Thus trying to influence God. We don't influence God in prayer. God does not receive from the world in any way. God doesn't have that sort of relationship with the world. In prayer, there is nothing that you are telling God that he doesn't already know. You're... You're not telling God anything that he's not aware of. So then what is prayer? The Westminster Marriage of Larger Catechism says, or I asked this question in 178, what is prayer? It says, prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God. In the name of Christ, by the help of the Spirit, with confessions of our sins, and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Prayer then is essentially the language of creaturely dependence. In prayer, you are already acknowledging that there is something that you cannot do for yourself, whether it be spiritual things or temporal things. You're already acknowledging that you are weak, that you are finite, that there is one out there who causes all things to be and who works all things and puts all things into motion keeps things in motion, brings things out of motion, you are acknowledging your dependence upon God and that you are in need. The purpose of prayer consists in that a person may obtain from God something that that person desires. Now, that doesn't mean that we ask for sinful desires. Of course not. You already know that. In fact, we are so appalled at uh, those ministers who ask for such lavish, luxurious, yet sinful things. 
We may ask, though, for our sinful desires to be put to death. That is true. We may ask that the Lord may put to death our sinful inclinations and our sinful desires. We can ask that. But prayer, saints of God, is to be centered around holy desires. Both spiritual, but also temporal. Both spiritual, but also temporal. James 4.3 You ask and do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. So that you may spend what you request on your pleasure. So prayer is primarily a matter of asking. Asking. And that's asking again for both spiritual and temporal things. In prayer then we express our desires and we present them to God. And we present them to God accompanied with the virtue of hope. Knowing that God will provide for us the good things that we need. I like what St. Thomas Aquinas says. He says, our motive in praying is not that we change the divine disposition. That is to say, our motive for praying is not that we change the mind of God. But that by our prayers, we may obtain what God has appointed. Beautiful way of talking about prayer, is it not, saints? I like this because in prayer, we ought to have a Lord, let your will be done type of bent. Now, saints of God, we don't want to hyperize that. Still present your worries and needs and petitions to God. If you're desiring something, bring it to the Lord. But always have this in mind. But Lord, if this is not in line with your will. If this is not good for me, then let my prayer go unanswered. Saints of God, have you ever prayed that way? That Lord, if this is not good for me, ignore my prayers. Allow me to pray things that are so in line with what you desire for me. Of course, that's in, it's impossible. But we can say that all of what we desire ought to have this sort of, Lord, whatever you desire for me to have, whatever good you desire for me to, to obtain, let it be. Although we desire for our prayers to be answered, saints of God, we ought to desire more that God will bless us with whatever he's divinely appointed to give us. Again, although we desire many things in this world, both spiritual and temporal, we also and more so desire that God will bless us with whatever he's divinely appointed to give us. In congregation, we must know that whatever the Lord has divinely appointed to give us are not bad things for us. It's not as if saints of God, or in fact, let's just, let's just say something like this. Let's say you desire something, but God doesn't answer your prayer. In fact, he gives you something the total opposite of what you desire. By God not answering your prayer, but also giving you the very thing that's opposite of what you desire, the thing he gives you is better than what you desired initially. You must view prayer that way. That, Lord, what you gave me is far better than what I asked for. That, Lord, you and only you know the true good in my, for my life. And we have to understand that, saints of God, that we 
see things from an ant's type point of view when the ant is crawling and trying to look upon the Grand Canyon. We only see one point of view. We only have one vantage point. But God knows all and sees all. We must remember, congregation, that God loves us. We must come to prayer knowing, understanding, ingraining into our souls that God loves us. Christ calls us friends. And according to the love of friendship, one wishes the good for one's friend. We come to prayer then knowing that God desires the good for us. We must get that congregation that God comes, or rather God desires the good for us. Because he is good. Now, before we get to corporate prayer, I couldn't help myself, but there is a dilemma that we come to when we come to the doctrine of prayer. A big dilemma that maybe can stop a lot of Christians, good Christians, from not praying. The dilemma, saints of God, is this. What is the use of praying? Since everything that God has planned to happen will happen. What is the use of praying? Since we know that everything that God has planned to happen, technically speaking, decreed to happen, it's going to come to pass. Saints of God, quickly speaking, the problem with this line of thinking is that it ignores the truth that God brings about his divine plan under the operation of secondary causes. Again, the problem with this line of thinking, thinking that what's the use of praying if God's going to already bring it together, everything's going to you know, happen the way you know, he planned it to happen, is that it ignores that God rules this world and brings things into existence under the operation of secondary causes. In other words... All things come to be, of course, by the first cause, who is God. God causes all things to be. He is the first cause of everything, right? You can say that everything that has being, your, from your chair to the clothes you wear, everything can be attributed first and foremost to God. Amen. But God also uses secondary means, secondary causes, within the created world, to bring about what he wills. For example, if you break your leg, you may pray that God will heal you. And he just might. But the ordinary way in which people's legs are usually healed is what? Through a doctor. Through medicine. So through these, a large array of secondary means, doctor, medicine, all these means, God heals. God heals. So you can truly say, God healed me. And he used the doctor and the medicine to heal me. Thomas Aquinas says, God bestows many things on us out of his liberality, liberality even without asking for them. But hear this. But he wishes, but that he wishes to bestow certain things on us at our asking. That is to say, we view the doctor as a secondary cause. We, we, we view food as a secondary cause in order for God to feed us. And here, 
the history of theology and the Bible has taught us that God also uses prayer as a secondary cause. Maybe you didn't catch that. In other words, there are some things that in order for them to come into being, you must pray. That's what that means. That there are some things in this world that in order for them to happen, God has decreed that they will providentially come into be only if you pray. Is that not amazing? Is that not amazing? Now, God has included in his providential order our prayers. He views our prayers as a secondary cause. James 5.6 speaks of this. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. A prayer of a righteous man, when it is brought about, can accomplish much. As I say, there's something about prayer. That, 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 that there, is, there is something that happens when one prays. That prayer is not just praying first and foremost to an invisible, well he is invisible, but an imaginary God. That, that prayer, just like the Lord's Supper, is not an empty shell. But prayer has power. Amen. That there's something that happens when we pray. Yeah. Now, this doesn't mean that when we pray, that all the things we pray for will be answered. There's such a great mystery in why God doesn't answer certain prayers. But it is to say, though, that there are some things in this world, both spiritual and temporal, that God has said, if you want it, to come to pass, you better pray for it. And saints of God, let me tell you, I can raise both hands and testify, I'm sure you can too, that there are things in my life that the only reason why I know it came to be is because God answered my prayer. Because God answered my prayer. Saints of God, we see the goodness and kindness of God on display, do we not? That God can bring anything into existence if he wanted, but he has so, or rather such, allowed us to participate in his providential order. He's allowed us to participate in his providential order. That he will use earthly, lowly, finite people to bring about the good. Amazing, amazing God whom we serve. So prayer then is not just merely words. Prayer involves words, but also prayer has a unique power to it. Amen. That God, if he has so planned, decreed, willed, will answer your prayer. Saints of God, let us now turn the rest of our attention to corporate prayer. Corporate prayer. What is the essence of corporate prayer? John Newton says this. One of the greatest comforts I have in my life is that at, in, at, at, is that at a given time, I can believe that there's 
someone somewhere in this world lifting up my worthless name and lisping into the ears of the Lord. Corporate prayer then is simply put, believers praying for believers. Believers praying for non-believers. A collective group of like-minded individuals. Saints of God, you can't get this anywhere in the world. I don't know how many people are in here. Let's just say 40. You go out to the world, you try to get 40 people. Most likely you'll have 40 different opinions on something. But in corporate prayer, most especially in corporate worship, there's something unique with regard to our humanness. We all are on the same level and we all have the same mind. That in corporate prayer congregation, it teaches us that there is great strength in numbers. We all have one mind. Where do we see this in the Bible? Isaiah 55, 56, 6 through 7. In many of these texts, saints of God, you can just write down or remember. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to them, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast to my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. In my house of prayer. Here God, he characterizes the house of God as a house of prayer. A temple was to be a place where people prayed together corporately. And we have, when we talk about the biblical witness to corporate prayer, saints of God, and let me just say real quickly, corporate prayer is not something that Antonio, Pastor Antonio and I invented. This is not something that we're doing in light of a certain tradition. But this is what the Bible says we ought to do. This is what the Bible says we ought to do. And if there's one thing that we need to be so assured of, is that we are not wasting our time when we meet together. But everything that we are doing has a scriptural backing to it. The book of Acts. We have the story of how Christianity and the good news of Jesus Christ spread throughout the nations. And saints of God, what characterized the early church was not merely the preaching and their message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. But what characterized the early church was their priority of prayer. Their priority of prayer. In Acts 1, 12-14, we read of Christ's disciples return to Jerusalem and wait there until they receive what was promised by the Father, which is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit in greater measure. And while they are waiting in Jerusalem, Luke tells us in verse 14 what they are doing. What are they doing while they're waiting on the Lord? All these things with one accord were, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Together with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Now saints of God, that word devoting in the original language is what's known as the present active participle. And what that simply means, saints of God, is that this act of praying was something that the early church did on a regular basis. On a regular basis. That it wasn't a one-time thing. But also notice that the text says, all these with one accord. All these with one accord. Which speaks of the unity that the disciples had 
when they pray to one another. That is that is why we are Pastor Antonio does this more than I, I, I do, and I should do it more often, but this is why we are to say loudly and boldly at the end of every prayer, Amen. That's one of the reasons. Because it shows the unity that we all have for the very thing that we petitioned to God. It displays our unity. So saints of God, let me encourage you. Say amen loudly. It's a glorious thing. A very glorious thing. We see corporate prayer in Acts chapter 1, verses 23 to 26. It is there where the twelve had to choose who's going to replace Judas. Verse 24 says, And they prayed and said, You, Lord, know the hearts of all men. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in his ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. Here we see an example that the early church was quick to gather as as, as they met together for an important decision. But you notice, saints of God, what did they do before they made an, an important decision? They prayed. They prayed together. They corporately came together so that their minds will be in one accord. It's important to know, congregation, that their decision was solely based on their trust and dependence of God. They began their this 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 ver these this, these these this story rather and by acknowledging that God knows all things and that God controls all things. They said, "You know the hearts of all. Now, Lord, show us, show us." Here, saints, we see something that we ought to learn from. That oftentimes we have a tendency to make decisions. And then we then then ask God to bless the decisions that we made. That Lord, this is what I'm going to do. Now, Lord, bless me and what I have chosen to do. Now we have it all backwards. We have it all backwards. This text teaches us, congregation, the very opposite attitude that so many of us have. That saints of God, we are to come to the Lord in prayer, asking that He will help us make the decision. And if you can't make a decision right there and then, then there is no fault and there is no wrong in waiting. There is no wrong in waiting. We see the people of God making decisions as best as they could. But also before that, asking God for the right direction. Corporate prayer is seen in Acts 4.42. Just after Pentecost, where 3,000 people chose to follow Christ, Luke tells his readers in chapter 2, verse 42, that what these converts did after coming to a saving knowledge of Christ, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Some was ask you, what do you do at your church? What does a regular service look like? Read to them Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Read to them that we devote ourselves I'm not an apostle, but to Christ's teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. That's what we do. That's a church congregation. Here we see the four main marks of a healthy church. 
sound teaching, corporate fellowship, the Lord's Prayer, and corporate prayer. To the early church, corporate prayer was deeply rooted into the DNA of corporate worship. In Acts chapter 4, verses 24 through 30, a corporate prayer meeting is held as the people plead for boldness. In Acts chapter 15, verse 5, when King Herod arrested Peter, while he was in prison, it reads, prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Unto the church unto God for him. Saints, as we come to the epistles of St. Paul, we also see corporate prayer as well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 16 through 17, it says that corporate prayer should be done, or rather St. Paul says corporate prayer should be done in a manner that builds up the church. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, St. Paul instructs Timothy to lead the church in Ephesus to pray for all kinds of men, especially kings and those in high positions. And this is to be done without anger or quarreling. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11, St. Paul attributes the success of his ministry to the prayers by the Christians in Corinth. He says, because you prayed for me. Because you prayed for me. Here we see corporate prayer explicitly taught also in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18, verse 19 through 20. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they ask, that it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Now the context, of course, we know is church discipline. We know that. The Lord has just given the disciples instructions on how they are to handle a brother who has, who has sinned against the Lord. And it is in the context of explaining the significance of excommunication in verse 18 that the Lord makes remarks of corporate prayer in verses 19 to 20. Again, the Lord says, If two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything, they shall ask it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Now notice that the Lord does not restrict his promise only to the matter of church discipline. In church discipline matters, the Lord is there. But also he says, I will be there when you pray. We know this congregation because the word agree in the original language simply means this, to call out together. To call out together. So when you read again that word agree, when two, when, when, if two of you shall agree, it simply means to call out together. This together with the word ask, which means request. I mean, that's prayer, is it not? Asking, requesting, petitioning. Suggests to us that the context of corporate prayer, saints of God, or rather in the context, the Lord is there. Also, in verse 20, when the Lord says, gather together in my name. What do we do in corporate prayer? What is the, what is the mindset we are to have? We are to have one mind. One mind. What we see from this text congregation is that God's special presence is not there merely in excommunicating, but also in corporate prayer. So when we have corporate prayer in just a few hours, best believe that God is here. That Jesus Christ is in our midst. Jesus Christ is in our midst. 
ultimately congregation, and finally, we find the mandate for corporate prayer in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. In the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. If we were to mark out some of the main features of the life and ministry of Christ, prayer is unquestionably at the top of the list. Christ was a man of prayer. He taught his disciples the importance of prayer. At times, Christ prayed while they watched. At times, Christ prayed with them. At times, Christ taught them how to pray. But also, saints of God, Christ teaches us something of the necessity of believers praying together. You remember that story in Matthew chapter 26. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful. Even the dead remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and praying, saying, my father, is it possible that this cup pass from nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will? Then you, all, you know what happens next, right? He goes back and they're all asleep. And he says, could you not keep watch for an hour? <clears throat> so much rich theology in this text, congregation, that we don't have time to go over. But if there's one thing that this text teaches us, it's this. Is that it's important that believers come together and pray. Most especially congregation, when pressure begins to mount, prayer is the way to go. There's an old saying that um, in life, you should always have a place to go. You should always have a place to go. And they liken that to what's called a prayer closet. But you could just say this. When times are rough, when times are good, we need to pray. Prayer is always the way. Prayer is always the first thing, the middle thing, and the last thing that we do. Congregation, I want to end with just now the importance um, and great benefits of corporate prayer. Uh, the importance and great benefit of corporate prayer. We have already considered what prayer is, what, what corporate prayer is, Biblically speaking, now what's the use of corporate prayer? I'll just give you a few. Number one, and I want to elaborate on many of these. <clears throat> corporate prayer encourages. Corporate prayer encourages. Saints of God, I've been encouraged by many of us, many of your uh, needs, and us coming together and, and amening um, those needs. Especially, and I think maybe because it was a little bit longer, the last corporate prayer that we had. Was that not such such a blessing for your souls? Um, in corporate prayer, when we gather with each other and pray with one another, we do the very thing that St. Paul tells us to do in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, to encourage one another and build one another up. If there's any way you can encourage one another and build one another up, it's first and foremost, amening. The very thing that they're asking for. I mean, there's, not there is. People are hurting congregation. The one who is sitting next to you is deeply, or rather could be deeply hurting. Could be deeply in need. And we need to come together, congregation, and understand that in corporate prayer, we are locking arms 
with those beside us and saying that you will not carry this cross and this burden on your own. But I will help you. And they may say, well, what can you do for me? And the greatest thing we do is come in agreement. Say amen. And say, I will pray with you. And I will keep praying for you. Corporate prayer helps us battle sin. Helps us battle sin. James exhorts us to confess our sins to one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. Saints, there is strength in gathering with others to help you battle your sin. And when we pray corporately, we can allow others to hold each other accountable to holiness and righteousness. There's nothing wrong, congregation, with us saying that, hey, I'm struggling in this particular area. Will you come alongside me and and help me be accountable to God's law, to God himself, to righteousness, to holiness? As one writer says, if we are serious about battling sin, that we must put corporate prayer in our arsenal. Corporate prayer teaches us those wise words of Ecclesiastes 4.19, that two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. Corporate prayer also helps build unity. Helps build unity. Saints, if there's one benefit to corporate prayer, it is the unity that is built between us. Praying for each other, congregation. Hearing others pray for us, or rather, the minister praying for us. Then also, after too, it's nothing, it's not wrong if you, if you ask another, say, hey, can you pray for me? There's nothing wrong with that. I remember, there are many times when I see my, my great mother doing the, those things. But congregation, this praying for one another naturally draws us closer to one another. Naturally draws us closer to one another. As we regularly come together, we're reminded of the words of St. Paul to the Ephesian Christians that maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That Christ commands us to show our bond and unity toward one another by love that we have for one another. And saints of God, the highest love that we can show for one another is that we pray with one another. And we are praying for one another. Uh, Number five. Just two more. Corporate prayer removes the me-centered approach to Christianity. Corporate prayer removes the me-centered approach to Christianity. There are many things, congregation, that we are tied up in with our own lives. Many things. That we think that our plate is so full that we have no room on our plate for someone else's baggage. For someone else's struggles. But thanks of God, that is not biblical Christianity. St. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, bear one another's burdens so that you fulfill the law of Christ. John Gill says concerning this, gently reproving them by comforting them when overpressed with guilt, by sympathizing with them in their sorrow, by praying to God for to manifest his pardoning grace to them. Saints of God, one pastor says, participating regularly in corporate prayer begins to take out the individualistic assumption that Christianity is only about me and my relationship with God. And it begins to resituate us as individual Christians in the congregation 
so that we become aware of this person who's sick, this person who just had a baby, this person who's unemployed, this person who's just become a Christian. Participating in corporate prayer helps us discover that our lives as followers of Christ are tied up with one another. Like it or not, you are tied up with me, and I am tied up with you. And saints of God, that is the great that is the great comfort of corporate prayer. Corporate prayer, congregation, two more, is the means by which God blesses his people. As one Puritan says, God loves to answer petitions signed by more than one signature. And lastly, for us who are, I won't say that, but for those who are, are, are parents, but also those who are non-parents, corporate prayer teaches us how to pray, but also teaches our children the importance of prayer. It teaches us, the import, our children, the importance of prayer. Saints of God, there's many things that you are to teach your child. Many conferences you can go to, many lectures you can hear, many books you can read. Be an advocate, or teach your, your child to be an advocate of this and that and this and that, but there's one thing you are to teach your children is the importance of prayer. The importance of prayer. Because, saints of God, let me tell you something. There's some things in this world that a petition is not going to... Because you signed a petition, it, it, it's not, it's not going to be all, all dandy. <laughs> There's some things in this world, congregation, that you need more than just the right man for the right job. But you need to get on your knees and pray. Praying is the first thing we do. Again, the middle thing we do is the very last thing that we do. Parents, bring your children when we have corporate prayer. My mother did this for me. And although I hated it when I was there, now I can look back and I greatly appreciate it. Seeing on a midweek as well, the importance of saints coming together. And although I disagree with how they prayed, the fact that they came together to pray. They understood the importance of corporate prayer. This is how congregation children fall in love with God. One of the ways is knowing that there's a God who hears them. A God who will not ignore them. Children are going through very, very, very difficult things. Very difficult things. And we can, at the very earliest ages, teach them to pray. That there's someone who they can go to. Because there's someone who mommy and daddy goes to. Saints of God, I hope this encourages you. I hope this sheds new light, maybe even um, relit a motivation for us not only to pray privately, but also the great importance of corporate prayer. This is why Pastor Antonio and I decided to devote, for as long as we need to, a time of corporate prayer. Because it's so greatly, so greatly needed in the church today. So thanks to God. Let us ask the Lord to help us remember all these things that was taught and even the Holy Spirit to bring new things, um, to eliminate new things to your souls when we consider the great doctrine of prayer but also corporate prayer. Let's ask the Lord to help us.